0: the Michael Reed show
1: Tuesday morning the 29th of October good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am this is Michael Reed on LMFM we begin the short week today with uh, the political debate in London no bank holiday there where MPs were in the house of commons voting yesterday on holding a general election the result was very unusual for Boris Johnson the pm got the support of the majority of MPs t- to hold an election
2: the eyes have it but the motion has not obtained the majority required under the fixed term Parliament's act 2011 and because the record coming to the right, Trump, because the majority required has not been reached the nose
1: So what that means is uh, that Boris Johnson won over the majority of MPs, but because it was less than a two-thirds majority, he lost the vote. It's the third time he's lost a vote on holding an election and the eleventh time that Mr Johnson has lost a vote since becoming Prime Minister.
2: We will not allow this paralysis to continue, and one way or another, we must proceed straight to an election. So later on Uh, This evening, the government will give notice of presentation for a short bill for an election on the 12th of December so that we can finally get Brexit done.
1: Sinn Féin MEP Matt Carthy is on uh, the line. Good morning to you. As you heard there, Boris Johnson says he's going to have a a fourth go at convincing MPs uh, to hold a general election. It looks like he may win that vote today. Is that your reading of it?
0: Yes, good morning, Michael, and good morning to your listeners. And yes, it appears that um, the numbers are there today for a resolution that's been put forward by the British government for an election on the 12th of December, as you say. What remains to be seen is whether or not amendments will be put to that motion. Um, There were inferences last week that perhaps there would be um, amendments that would extend the franchise to um, voters over 16 or or other such mechanisms. I think some of those stories have um, died down a little bit over the weekend, but yes, it appears that we're now heading towards a uh, general election, which I think was an inevitability once um, the deal had been struck, no mm. deal, as a scenario had been taken off this um, off the table. Um, clearly um, it was a factor that was taken into consideration by European um, leaders when they were discussing whether or not to provide an extension. So that there will be a general election in the
1: Okay, I'm, loo- I, I, I'm losing you there, Matt. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, the phone has moved on you. Uh, I'm sorry, Okay. Though, if you okay, can. Okay, sure, yeah, 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 yeah. The only thing
0: that remains to be seen is what the outcome of that election will be and whether mm. or not it will ensure there is an end to the paralysis
1: that we've been witnessing in Westminster for the past number of years. All right, all of this is, is weird, uh, and it's probably not unusual uh, for things related to, to Brexit to be weird. It is unusual for Boris Johnson to win a vote, and he did win the vote last night, 299 to 70. It was a significant win, but lost the vote because he didn't have that two-thirds majority, and the weird bit is that uh, he may win it today, on a simple majority, because he's putting forward what they call a short bill and that doesn't require the two-thirds majority.
0: Yeah, and of course that's a bit alien in Ireland.
3: We
1: Mm.
0: have an operation of a supermajority. It does come into effect in quite a number of parliaments. We actually have it for some votes in the European Parliament. Uh, Adoption of the budget, for example, requires what's called an absolute majority in the House of Congress, in the States there are a number of issues that require a supermajority, and in England they have the Sixth Term Parliament Act, which requires a supermajority in order to um, get agreement for the dissolution of the um, Houses of Parliament, but it appears that there's a loophole in that that a simple majority will suffice to actually fix a date. Okay. Election,
1: so. uh, it, it's all been a, a little bit inevitable, some would say. Uh, I think I, I said to you a, a fortnight ago, I'd eat my hat the following week uh, if we weren't talking about a, a general election. We're a week late it seems, but we are talking about a, a general election. It does seem as though Boris Johnson did not act in good faith and uh, ha- had put forward a, a deal that was designed to fail so that he'd get this general election uh, and uh, the questions uh, that was asking you at the time about how Sinn Féin may protect people in Northern Ireland from Brexit, whether you take seats in Westminster and so on. Uh, do you see it that way now?
0: No, Sinn Féin has protected the people in the North and indeed across the island of Ireland by ensuring that the voices of our communities, particularly border communities, mm. was um, heard where it matters within the European negotiating team. But, we concentrated our efforts in ensuring that we have had a continued dialogue with Michel Barnier, mm-hmm. with the negotiating task force, with the European Parliament, um, and Rapportorby for Hostock. But do
1: you think um, Michel Barnier and Leo Vratker uh, and others uh, have launched Boris Johnson's election campaign? I mean, that was the question I was putting to you a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, and as to whether this deal was designed to fail.
0: Well, you st- and this goes to the crux of it. Lots of us have our own particular opinions of Boris Johnson. and From my point of view, it really doesn't matter who the British Prime Minister is. They're always going to act uh, at the behest and in the best interest of what they would consider to be their electors, which is essentially the English people. um, And we have only got the responsibility to ensure that Irish interests Mm. are addressed in whatever mechanism we, we have available to us. And in this instance, our mechanism that was available to us was the open, direct route that we have had to the European negotiating teams and where we have put forward position with regard to the North where we were the first to put forward and articulate a position of special status, in other words a requirement that the unique circumstances that pertain to Ireland, particularly mm. the North, would be central to the negotiations we secured that very early on and then after that our responsibility and job was to ensure that the European Union negotiators remain steadfast in all of that and quite a number of times mm-hmm. uh, throughout the past number of years people have been telling me the EU will blink when it comes down to the crux times in the negotiation. The European Union will sell Ireland out. It didn't, and the reason it mm-hmm. didn't was because we were ensuring that the consequences of such a move were well known to them by bringing forward and bringing over to Brussels on quite a number of occasions organisations like Border Communities Against Brexit, mm-hmm. farming organisations, business organisations, workers, community representatives, people who are at the cold face of what has been a very dangerous Brexit agenda pursued by both Theresa May and Latterly.
1: Okay, well what we do know is that the 31st of October will be Halloween but it won't be Brexit and we can forget about the 31st of October in the context of Brexit. Uh, What we now have is what they're calling a flex tension and uh, the British government have up to the 31st of January. But if they hold an election on the 12th of December they could say we're ready to go before the end of December or they could do it early in January uh, if they were ready. Uh, What do you think the outcome of a General election in the UK will be in terms of Brexit. Uh, Will they be able to agree on a way of leaving the European Union?
0: And as I mentioned at the outset, that is the big unknown. Looking at opinion polls, it's they all suggest that Boris Johnson is in line to secure an overall majority that will allow him to secure a majority support. Although. Um, you recall during the last Westminster election, Theresa May, according to the opinion polls, was going to secure a landslide. didn't turn out quite like that, as we know, and we've all been watching the circus that has been Westminster ever since because of that. So according to the polls, which are the only basis that we over in Ireland can go by, um, it looks like the, um, the Tories are in line to secure that elusive majority. But who knows? From our point of view, we know that there are 18 seats in Ireland and in the north that are going to be um, and going to be mm. de- um, des- um, decided. Um, our responsibility is to ensure that as many um, MPs are elected that reject Brexit for any part of Ireland, that reject Westminster's control over any part of Ireland and support Irish reunification as a way to ensure that decisions that are made in England don't have the catastrophic um, consequences on our country that Brexit clearly has.
1: Okay, uh, perhaps uh, we can take a minute uh, to talk uh, about some fires, some arson attacks, uh, a fire that uh, broke out at uh, the Emmy Vale Garda station and, uh, of course, uh, the fire in County Leitrim, uh, which uh, saw Martin Kenny's car being burnt outside of his house. Uh, There's been widespread condemnation uh, of that attack.
0: Yeah, and in both instances, the first thing that people need to recognise, and I'm sure arsonists probably aren't tuning in at half nine on uh, Tuesday morning but it is a really dangerous um, method of making a statement if you would like to be as kind um, to those involved as possible Um, I was talking to Martin Kenny a number of times yesterday I was in Ballinmore Um, the house, um, his house um, was quite a distance away from his car thank God Um, but even at that Um, as a result of the fire and the flames and the heat um, there has been some structural damage done to doors and windows of the front of his house so it was an absolutely atrocious um, attack on Martin but more importantly on his family because all his his family including his young children were in the house um, when the car was set ablaze and it is an absolutely despicable attack that has been rightly condemned by people from across the political divide and it would make you question the mentality of those that would carry out such an attack. And I know there have been mm-hmm. issues around um, direct provision and other issues in County leitrim but are those who carried out this attack trying to suggest for a second that they're more Irish than Martin Kenny, that they're more patriotic than Martin Kenny, somebody who's been a representative um, of our party and who's been an outstanding representative, not just for his own County of leitrim but as spokesperson on agriculture and rural development and more recently um, justice and equality. Martin has been an advocate for rural communities in particular who have been decimated as a result of the removal of services and the lack of investment in our rural areas Um, and it's my view that all right-thinking people will be standing shoulder to shoulder with Martin and his family over the coming days and weeks and I hope that the Guards manage to apprehend those who are responsible and bring
1: them to justice as quickly as possible Okay, I'm going to uh, be speaking with uh, Breach Quinn, Paul Quinn's uh, mother Paul as you know was murdered in uh, 2007 and uh, I'm speaking with your party leader on Friday which is why Breach Quinn uh, is going to speak uh, to us uh, today but Mary Lou Macdonald was telling us uh, unlike uh, the way you weren't able to tell us during uh, the European elections uh, that you will be standing, Matt Carthy, in uh, the Cavan Monaghan electoral area in the next general election. Uh, and uh, she was uh, not uh, inclined uh, to... Uh, Uh, come to uh, agree with Breach Quinn's call for Conor Murphy uh, to retract a statement that he made about Paul Quinn saying that he was not killed by the IRA, that he was involved in criminality. Uh, Do you uh, care to address that?
0: Well, just in relation to my own standing or otherwise in the general election in Calvary, as I indicated, I think, to you on several occasions during the election campaign, I had been selected as a candidate to run in the general election. No decision has been made as of yet as to whether or not I will be standing in the general election if and when it happens. It is the default position because I have previously been selected, but that convention will need to be rerun. And we will take into consideration all Cognizance. Listen, in relation to the brutal um, um, attack and killing of Paul Quinn. There is nothing I can say, I'm sure, that would bring any comfort um, to Bridge and our family. And the only comfort um, that is possible for for that family is that those who are responsible are brought to justice. And that is absolutely um, my my desire as much as anybody who I I know in Monaghan or in Mm Armagh or anything else. And anybody, and I repeat this for what it's worth, Anybody who has any information, whether they live in County Armagh or County Monaghan or anywhere else, that has any information whatsoever in relation to the brutal murder of Paul Quinn, should bring that to the attention of the Gardaí because we all want to see okay. those who are responsible brought okay, to Okay,
1: but would you support Breach Quinn's call on Conor Murphy to retract his statement?
0: Which statement? I I wasn't aware that Conor had made a statement um, in, in 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 relation to this other than. That
1: that of which well, he said he he, uh, he said he, he went to the IRA right. and the IRA said that they weren't involved in it and he believed uh, that uh, Paul Quinn was involved in criminality and that it was some sort of criminal feud that led to his killing.
0: Listen, all I know is that the killing of Paul Quinn was in itself a criminal mm. act of the most heinous nature. But that's and what Bridge Quinn.
1: About- but that's what Breech Quinn is asking Conor Murphy to retract.
0: Okay, well that's an issue you should raise with Conor Murphy because I'm not aware of the full outline mm. of. Of, of that statement, but all I can say in in terms of my own knowing and knowledge of Conor Murphy and all Sinn Féin elected representatives right across um, the border region, we were as disgusted by the attack on Paul Quinn and his murder um, as anybody, and we um, are absolutely um, determined um, to support any calls for okay. those who are responsible to be brought to
1: jail. Okay, well the family wants to remove the slur on Paul Quinn's name.
0: Well, I didn't know Paul Quinn. I've No um, knowledge that he was anything other than a fine young man who is clearly deeply loved by his own family. And all I want to say, and as I say for what it's worth, because I'm sure the family have been traumatised for the past um, 12 years or so. Um, all they want is justice for those people who were responsible to be brought to justice, and I absolutely support them
1: in that. Okay, okay, we'll. Uh, uh, I'm sure we will hear more uh, throughout uh, the coming months uh, as we go into uh, the general election. But uh, we will leave it there for the moment, and thank you indeed for joining us here today. Thank you, Mike. That's uh, Sinn Féin MEP Matt Carthy, the Michael Reed Show. On Friday, Fine TD, Fergus O'Dowd told us he was optimistic uh, that a solution to a review of uh, the RD bypass could be found when he met with TII. O'Dowd hoped construction of the bypass could commence on the stretches of the road that are not contentious. That optimism, however, was replaced after that meeting with deep concern. Fergus O'Dowd is on the line and a very good morning to you and uh, thanks for joining us. It didn't go quite as planned with Transport Infrastructure Ireland, did it?
4: No, no, it didn't at all. In fact, it was very disturbing. Obviously, my colleagues in the Rockers, uh, obviously Senator Jed Nash, Deputy Meldam Monster, Declan Bannock were there, and Deputy Fitzpatrick and Deputy Adams uh, had other engagements. That's quite understandable because it was a Friday morning. But uh, the key point was that uh, Transport Infrastructure Ireland introduced a new, completely new, out of the blue commentary in relation to environmental uh, issues. What they said was that there was a regulation made in 2012 which applied to all projects which hadn't been built for five years after their original permission, that they would require new environmental uh, procedures and new environmental agreements. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, we, don't, we didn't have sight of that document, but we've asked that it would be sent to all of us urgently, so we can understand what is actually go, uh, going on.
1: Because the planning permission was granted in two thousand and five, I think.
4: Yes, it was, and obviously there was no money because of the economic situation. Mm. But like, what, well, here we, but the fact, point
1: is, here we are nine years on, uh, and uh, it hasn't commenced, uh, so uh, it's in breach of uh, this regulation. And and does does that in effect mean? that there is no planning permission for the bypass now.
4: Well, effectively, effectively, what, what TII actually said in the doll that the design is safe and compliant, right? Mm. That's what they've said. That's what they're on the record. I have a three-page letter in front of me from uh, Mr. Michael Nolan, the Chief Executive of Transport Infrastructure mm. Ireland, dated the 23rd of September. And he says the issues are the issues relating to the closed-off cul-de-sacs and that there are no... Other issues. But
1: what about the planning permission itself? I'm sorry, I think I said nine years. Uh, it was granted planning permission fourteen years ago, uh, two thousand
4: and five, I think. Yeah. Planning. yeah, so so so
1: it's outside, it's, a, it's outside of that. It's outside. It's it's outside of that five-year time frame that we're talking about. Uh, does that mean uh, that the planning permission uh, is now null and void?
4: But that that's the question. That that is the question. And if it is the case, uh, and I don't know the answer to this question, but what concerns me greatly. Is that Transport Infrastructure Ireland were before in the Rocktas committee. Uh, I've had correspondence with the chief executive. Uh, we've had other meetings with them uh, this week, or last week, sorry. And this is the first time this has been mentioned because we were trying to find, I was trying to find a way. Mm. And I know that other members, other of my colleagues, just supported that if we could go ahead with the road as agreed and then deal with the other issues separately on the grounds that uh, construction inflation, if you stop the project, a stop from going ahead would be at least 4 or 5 million. And then if we were to put that money into dealing with the cul-de-sac issues, that's the way to go. In other words, there wouldn't be any, there'd be, there'd be no stop in the road. And this is a new barrier that has been put in there. So it is, it is very concerning. It is very late in the day. It lacks transparency. And I've sought the information from Transport Infrastructure in relation to all their files. And they want me to pay them 2,900 euros, Michael to get copies of all their documents, which is unacceptable as well. Because the key point is that the people of RD are suffering. Uh, the traffic is hugely congested. There are lorries that don't need to go through the town going through every day. And obviously the health of the people will suffer as well with the increased concentration of, of you know of, of gases from vehicles mm. that don't need to be there.
1: That's a, a that lot of
4: is the huge difficulty we have
1: that's a lot of money. What What would you be getting for your three thousand euro? You said documents. Uh, well, I
4: don't know. You see, yeah. I asked for
1: the. Yeah. I asked for
4: their, I actually asked for the minutes of their, of 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 their you know of their national board. Yeah. That's the first thing, uh, and then I asked for copies of their their financials in relation to the oversight of the national roads program, and they said it would take one hundred and forty five hours, uh, to do it. And, I mean, that's sort of rubbish, you know, and it's utterly mm. unacceptable. So, like, I, I, I'm not letting this go. But I think the key point is we need to determine now what is, what is, is this a new barrier? Why wasn't it mentioned before? But if this is a new barrier, how do we deal with it? And the problem then arises, you know, how do we get around the problem if the road actually, if the alignment of the road has to physically change where it is now. Forgetting about the two cul-de-sacs, mm, mm. it may have to be planned all over again and it's just a nightmare particularly for the people of RD and that's what worries me.
1: Well, I, I think you've accepted that on Friday to be the case uh, because uh, even if the existing planning permission uh, is valid, there are Uh, these problems of the cul-de-sacs and the environment uh, and if they are to be addressed to everybody's satisfaction, that section of the road or those sections of the road would require fresh planning. Uh, It would, yes. So that would mean going back to the drawing board completely. Yeah, but the
4: point, Michael, was that uh, it was either get the road done as is Mm. or go back to the drawing board Mm. and my initiative was to, you know, Start the road, get it going, Mm. and then deal with the others issues separately, separately but Mm. at the same time. And the cost factor, in my view, wouldn't be any greater than it will be if it stopped and it is stopped now. But the truth of the matter is, until we get this correspondence, we don't actually know exactly what the true situation is. But I repeat again I have a three page letter from the chairman, sorry, the chief executive Mm -hmm. of TII, dated not long ago, and he mentions it absolutely nowhere. So if this was always the barrier, why weren't we told about it? And that's, and that's what worries me. Mm. You know, what is actually going on? Why don't they release their documents? But most of all, I think, and I welcome the initiative of Dolores Milogue in relation to getting a meeting with the manager and the public reps from the county, that hopefully by Friday of this week uh, we'll have clarity on where the true situation is and then we all have to work together, whatever that mm. is, to get it
1: built as Well, as well. So it's not clear, obviously, speaking to you. Clear, and, uh, no. I think TII have said that they will issue a clarification document.
4: They have, yes. And obviously, uh, we, uh, I, they, would have, they would have been away this weekend. This is the first mm. day back at mm-hmm. work since the weekend. But as soon as it comes, we put that in the public domain. And obviously, the, the key problem is the longer this goes on, the economic future of RD is affected, the mm-hmm. air quality, health and safety of... People and obviously the huge economic cost to the area is, you know. And here, here's a case. I mean, it's unique and special. You have the planning permission. The money's been provided by the government to build it. The council wants to go ahead, and now we're told <laughs> that there's a new barrier that comes out of the blue that has never been uh, told. We've never been told about this before. Mm. Notwithstanding the fact that they they were asked in the committee, which is a you know it's a place for accountability, and they didn't tell us about this. So. I just I'm just very concerned about it, Michael.
1: Okay. Well, as you say, hopefully there'll be clarity uh, towards uh, the end of uh, this week, or over the course of uh, this week, but many reasons to be concerned uh, as to whether the RD bypass will be realised in the near future. Thank you indeed for joining us here on on the programme for Fine TD, Fergus O'Dowd. Now we'll return uh, to the murder of uh, Paul Quinn in uh, Monaghan in 2007. Earlier on in uh, the programme, you'd have heard Sinn Féin MEP, Matt Carthy say he didn't really know anything about the reason for Paul Quinn being murdered, but he condemned it as a terrible act, an atrocity that shouldn't have happened. And this followed on from an interview that we had with the leader of Sinn Féin, Mary Lou MacDonald, on Friday's programme. And we spoke to her about the Quinn family's wish for Conor Murphy to retract statements he made saying that Paul was not Killed by the IRA, and that his murder resulted from his involvement in criminality.
0: I'm I'm making no such uh, implication, and
5: I'm, I'm not going down the road of uh, getting into a verbal tennis match with you or playing games in circumstances for, where families were very deeply hurt. The Quinn family, like every other family, deserve the absolute truth.
1: So you're, uh, um,
5: and hmm. and Mike, it is the job of the and guard the Shia Connor the PSNI, mm. the authorities across this island to ensure
1: that no, any No, 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 it's not. In, no, it's not. Uh, it's, it's, not. it's not. It's not. Not, not, not according to Conor Murphy. Conor Murphy said, was asked exactly that. And he said no. He said uh, they might have a role in it, but the community has a role in it. In other words, the IRA has a role in it.
0: Well, there is no IRA. Um, Mike,
5: the war is over. The conflict is over, thank God. We now have a peace process, though imperfect and challenged at the moment, that has delivered peace and stability for the past 20 years.
1: breach Quinn, Paul Quinn's mother, is on the line now. And a very good morning to you once again, breach and thanks for joining us. You morning, listened Mike. to Mary Lou MacDonald's interview on Friday and what she had to say, or what she didn't have to say, about your son's killing. What did you think of what Mary Lou MacDonald said?
6: She said it's up to the PSNI and the Gardaí uh, and as you said, Conor Murphy said it was up to the people. Conor Murphy said he spoke to the IRA in Cullihanna. Mary Lou Macdonald is the leader of Sinn Féin. It's up to Mary Lou McDonald to go to Conor Murphy, ask him who he spoke to in the IRA as he called it. He said uh, they assured him that they didn't do it. He called Paul a criminal. Paul wasn't in his grave a couple of hours. So Mary Lou McDonald did say that when she took over from Gerry Adams that she'd walk in her own shoes. Well, Mary Lou... I have a pair of shoes here belong to Paul Quinn and he will never, never walk in them again because the IRA murdered him. Because, and she also said she would ask Conor Murphy to give us uh, comfort, to do anything that would give us comfort. Well, let me ask her to ask him this. I want him to come out publicly and apologise to us to Stephen, I, James and Kathy, for blackening Paul's name I want them to name the people he spoke to in Hannah, and that is the comfort that we need
1: We'll just take a listen a very quick listen to a little bit of what Conor Murphy did say about the killing of your son Paul Quinn
7: People allege it was the IRA, and I go and talk to the IRA and receive assurances from them, as I expected to do, that it was not them involved. Then you have to assume that it's it's other people who are involved in this area. Isn't it up
8: to the police to decide whether the IRA was involved?
1: Well, not necessarily. I mean, I think the community will want a sense of who was involved and who wasn't. Right, uh, that's uh, Conor Murphy uh, speaking to BBC News Well, the community doesn't... uh, By
6: saying that, doesn't he mean the IRA
1: well, of course. Uh, yes. uh, and he was saying it wasn't necessarily up to the police or the Garda or the Gardaí. PSNI, yeah.
6: How much more can they hurt us? We have been asking for justice for Paul. We've been asking Conor Murphy on many, many occasions to come out and apologise to us. It wasn't bad enough to murder the child, but to blacken his name, it's just unbelievable and he still holds on to it. So I'm saying to Mary Lou today, I'm saying again, and I don't know, many times I've said it, but please go to Conor Murphy, ask him to publicly apologise to us and to give us the names of the people he spoke to in Cully, Hannah.
1: Yeah, uh, I thought
6: it was a... (laughs) Sorry, sorry, Mike. uh, Okay. Another thing that's just come into my head... On the night Paul was murdered, that very night, the next morning, people called here from all different political parties. They all came to the door that night, early the next morning, but not one Sinn Féin member came. Not one.
1: I thought it was a a strange interview, Breach, with Mary Lou Macdonald. Uh, I've been interviewing people for a few years at this stage uh, and I I thought it was very strange uh, because I felt as though I was being accused of playing games with the terrible situation that you and your family are in. And it it felt a little bit like uh, Mary Lou Macdonald was trying to shoot the messenger, me in other words, uh, by suggesting that it was unfair to ask her those questions. Did you want those questions asked of Sinn Féin? Of course.
6: That's what I want. That's what we want. I did. I did hear her saying to you that she wasn't going to play tennis with you. Like who? Who does she think she is? That's your job to ask those those questions, Mike. That's your job, and that's what people appreciate. But they don't like to be to be asked questions that they can't answer. That's the way I see it,
1: Mike. And then she made. A very clear, unambiguous statement about who should be investigating it, uh, which we heard there a moment ago, that it should be left to the authorities uh, on both sides of the border. And as we heard a moment ago, that's not necessarily the case in Conor Murphy's opinion.
6: Yes, there you go. That's not, no, Conor Murphy doesn't think that uh, you should go to the PSNI or the Garda, and yet Mary Lou McDonald is. I would think Mary Lou McDonnell and Conor Murphy would need to sit down. They would need to talk over Paul's mother. She would ask him to give us the answers that we need now. We don't want to hear, or, or Sinn Féin supports the Quinn family, and um, we always did. I don't want to hear that statement. You don't support the Quinn
1: family. As Paul's mor- mother, who was brutally murdered, I'm sure you wouldn't like to hear people on Barstools having conversations like that, saying on one hand it's up to the police, on the other hand it's not necessarily up to the police. But this isn't Barstools. This is a political party with an elected public representative uh, and two elected public representatives, obviously, uh, but one of them being the leader of the party.
6: Yeah, well... Uh, the way Conor Murphy said it is uh, that he, the way he's thinking, it's to the people of, it's the IRA that should be um, talking about it. Mary Lou Macdonald says it's the PSNI and and the ARD. One doesn't know what the other's.
1: Okay, as I mentioned, Matt Carthy will be running in uh, the next general election. He'll probably knock on your door looking for a vote. He says he doesn't really know anything about what led to Paul's murder. I presume you'll be asking him to inform himself. Uh, And what else would you be saying to Sinn Féin this morning, Breach?
6: Well, Mike, uh, I live in the north. Matt Carthy is in the south. So he wouldn't be knocking on my door. But he, I have a lot of brothers and sisters that all live close by him. So he'll be knocking on their doors and they'll have a question for him. I hope he'll answer truthfully. And as for, to Mary Lou, I would say, please, go to Conor Murphy. Go where, where we are, want to get the questions, answers. And that's where you need to go.
1: And do you believe that Sinn Féin can provide information on the people responsible for your son's killing?
6: Yes. Mary Lou Macdonald is the head of Sinn Féin, and it's her job to get us the answers we want and give us justice for Paul. That is Mary Lou Macdonald's job. And that's where the answers lie, Mike. That's where the answers lie with Conor Murphy, who he spoke to, How did he know to go to those, to the people that he spoke to? You know, how did he go to know exactly the people to go to in Coleyhanna? Hmm.
1: Do you know the answer to that question? I do. Okay. OK, I won't uh, ask you to answer it here, uh, but uh, I think uh, people will understand what you mean, Bridge. We'll leave it there for the moment, and thank you uh, for joining us once again on the programme this morning. That's Bridge Quinn, Paul Quinn's mother. The Michael Reed Show. Yeah, let's find out what you've been saying to us. Maggie is here with some of uh, the calls and comments uh, that have been coming to us uh, today. Good morning to you, Maggie.
9: Morning, Michael. And um, not surprisingly, it's all Brexit related this morning on Again. the programme. Again, yeah, we're still <laughs> talking about it. I thought, everyb-
1: I thought everybody was fed up with Brexit at this stage. It
9: would appear not. Actually, okay, it would yeah. appear mm, not. Well, um, I think they probably are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe that's it. Um, well, look, mm. Anne was in contact to say, for the love of God, will you let the general election in the UK go ahead, please, yes. and let the people elect a new parliament? Maybe then will be able to chance to seeing an yeah. end to all of this. Yeah,
1: I think you'll get your wish today, and It looks uh, almost uh, certain that Boris will get uh, that simple majority, which is all he needs uh, to get today on his fourth effort to call an election.
9: Well, this is it. She's saying that if the current Parliament remains in place, it'll go on forever. We'll all be drawing a pension and still talking about Brexit. Mm. Um, On the same subject, Brian says he's sick, sore and tired of talking about Brexit, go back to the people and let them vote again because they cannot trust their public reps to stand up for them properly. Mm -hmm. Um, Mark can't believe we're facing into another three months of this circus as he describes it. He said, I thought Boris um, promised he'd deliver Brexit on October 31st come Mm hell or high water. Mm -hmm. So what went wrong and how much longer are we going to have to endure this?
1: Well, it's because he wants a big majority in uh, the House of Commons and it's also because he has the Little problem of needing the support of the DUP at the moment, and he's had to go through this farce of pretending that he was looking for a deal, which he got with European leaders who said, Yeah, Boris Johnson's great, Boris Johnson's saying. I've done everything I said I would do, but the bad people who are opposing me in the House of Commons won't let me go ahead with it. So we'll have to have a general election. He'll get an overall majority, and then he'll sell the DUP out and uh, go ahead with the backstop for Northern Ireland only. Thanks for that recap. Yeah, well, it's much. like a slow uh, car crash. This
9: is it, exactly. Mm. Um, Tony's saying that maybe Boris couldn't find a ditch he was happy with, and that's why he saw it, the extension past the 31st. Um, mm. Why do any of them bother issuing deadlines of any description when they come and go without resolution? He says maybe they should just try keeping stumps, saying nothing and surprises all with yeah, a resolution. Yeah, no, no, no,
1: I don't know about the ditch thing, you see, because what he said was he wouldn't ask for an extension. He'd rather die in a ditch than ask for an extension. And he's asked for an extension. Uh, He also also said he wouldn't ask people to sell Northern Ireland out to have it leave the European Union in a, a way different than the rest of the United Kingdom. He said no British Prime Minister would do that. And now he's doing it
9: he's forgotten what he said the previous day or something we need to do a recap, you know the way you play yes. back stuff for us, you should uh, have for him might,
1: might, might remind you of some of it uh, a little bit later on, uh, hold that thought for a moment though uh, because we'll go to uh, another issue uh, Labour Party councillor and Mayor of uh, Drogheda has come in to us uh, following what uh, is hard to believe, uh, the Thatch Cottage has uh, been set on fire again uh, this happened on Friday night, Paul Bell
7: Yes, good morning Michael, well regrettably again for the third time there's been an attempt uh, to destroy by fire, uh, the Thatch College that was being reforb- refurbished uh, for, a, I suppose, a second time. Uh, cause there's only two Thatch colleges left in our town. One is in Harty's College, mm. Crushwood Avenue, which suffered an arson attack. Uh, and again, uh, this property on Dunor Road for the third occasion has suffered another arson attack just after 12 o'clock on Friday night. Luckily enough, uh, on this occasion, the damage was minor. Mm. Uh, members of the public uh, tried to deal with it, but also the fire service was extremely prompt in arriving on scene and uh, managed to, to save the roof from being totally
1: destroyed. It's madness, though. I mean, is there yeah.
7: a- any point in trying to understand what's going on, why people are doing this? Well, it's actually impossible. <clears throat> uh, for, uh, the Guard corner have been involved uh, with the previous two. Um, incidents my understanding from the previous two incidents is that those investigations are at an advanced stage uh, on this this occasion they're this, uh, still investigating it is a crime uh, but it's absolutely you know mind-boggling that this type of behaviour seems to be somewhere in fashion for some people or they believe it's okay to do this um, mm. I think arson is a hideous crime and uh, but the, the people who own that property have invested in it. Uh, council have obviously, through various grants, invested because we want to keep our heritage we want to preserve that building in our community mm. for everybody to
1: enjoy. It's mm, there well, nearly 200 years. Mm, and you we, don't speak for everybody obviously when you say we. Uh, there's obviously yeah. some people uh, who think this is funny or whatever it is with them. I don't know. I mean it's just impossible to understand.
7: Well it is but I think now it's, it's the obligation uh, is for council mm. as Basically, trying to take care of heritage in the county mm. uh, and the property owner and the Gardashear corner basically need to have some kind of understanding of how we're going to go forward. Mm. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, the master tarcher that done that work, Peter Childs, uh, he's due to do the the damage that was happening from the months last ago. fire. Uh, that damage is uh, reputed to be around 12,000 euros. Mm. Uh, I can't see that being sustainable for the property owner. Uh, indeed maybe for the insurers of the property mm. but somewhere along the line action has got to be taken out to protect the building uh, up to now it was kind of hoped that these were some type of isolated incident. but you're right there's a, there's a determined effort by somebody or some people uh, that this will form part of their um, CV in crime mm. and I have a very serious issue with this because there's there's absolutely no reason why that mm. should happen and the, the people in the area want that building preserved yeah. they obviously would hope to see that the, the, the people who own the building would develop it into something yeah. but if this keeps happening uh, it's uh, it's either the, the building is taken yeah, down well, it'll or be- Hard and, and derelict shown. if it's not, taken and that's down, where. Yeah. And don't mm. forget, Michael, to 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 get the building to that stage, mm. there was other work that had to be done. The walls and all the timbers inside that building had to be
1: restored at great cost. Mm. So, I, I again, I, and, I, and, and that's again, without going into the danger that absolutely is posed for yeah. people uh, who could yeah. find themselves no. I, in uh, a fire like and, that. Uh, yeah. On the two mm. previous occasions, mm. the public mm. were
7: extremely yeah. uh, vital in uh, assisting the guardie with mm. their investigations. And I do, as I said, do believe the Gardaí have have the investigations at an advanced stage. On this occasion, it's no different. Uh, Somebody has seen something. It was at a particular—I think it was just after twelve midnight—because the fire was detected very, very quickly. And anybody in the area, I'm asking to come forward to to give the Gardaí assistance in this investigation. uh, Because at the end of the day people who are involved in arson need to be stopped for a mm. whole range of reasons mm. if somebody finds that this type of activity is entertaining they need to be dealt with
1: yeah well uh, if they find it entertaining to burn the yeah. thatch well they're going to run out of, uh, of yeah. options or, or look for other options uh, no, other uh, and god options. knows what else to be up, up to so, so let's uh, hope that somebody does come forward if they do have some information. Thanks for coming Thank on you, to today. Thank you Michael. That's uh, Labour Councillor Paul Bell the Mayor of Drogheda. Maggie you have uh, some more calls there?
3: I do yeah
9: on, back again on Brexit. Um, Margaret is saying that she's seen the future. The year is 2030 and the UK Parliament um, have applied to the EU for their now <laughs> annual extension on Brexit. Well, she hopes against hope that this doesn't come true. It certainly have a feels oh. at the minute to her, she says. Um, Sean believes that um, Leah Varadkar and the gang, as he puts it, will be delighted to see yet another extension to the Brexit deadline. It'll give them another few months of being able to blame their inaction and problems at home on being distracted by Brexit and housing, healthcare and so many other issues here will continue to suffer.
1: OK, uh, but will it give a reason for a general election here? I don't know. Mm.
9: I, I'm kind of hoping not before Christmas, if I'm yeah. perfectly honest, yeah, I do you know. never I, know.
1: I, I read in some of the papers uh, that some of uh, the Fine Gael members are, are biting at the bit for an election uh, before uh, Christmas uh, and to have a, an election in November. Well, the odds mm. are in their
9: favour, really, um, based on everything that's happened recently yeah. at home. Mm. So, I mean, I can understand why they're pushing for an election, but I don't really know if the public particularly want one.
1: Yeah, well, I doubt Fianna Fáil want one just at the moment. Uh, they had yeah. a, a bad poll over the weekend. Uh, there are uh, many who will say that it, it's not going to happen before uh, Christmas uh, because you've got the likes of uh, the Social Welfare Bill, which uh, needs to be passed by the Oireachtas uh, before December for increases to take place and all of that sort of thing. But you'd never know.
9: This is it. Um, but I'm going to go back to Brexit. Okay. Um, Anne says all of this looks so bad for Jeremy Corbyn. There's going to be an election soon and he's going to suffer. His party are in a state of chaos and the members are jumping ship day by day. Mm-hmm. And again on Brexit. Again, um, Mary says, oh, well, Brexit has been, without question, a monumental pain in the rear. Hmm. And she put it, on the plus side of her has extended vastly since <laughs> this whole thing started. Oh, really? First of all, yeah. there was the pro proroguing of Parliament yes, mm-hmm. and now they've been granted a full extension. She wants to mm. know if even a word.
1: <laughs> well, it is now. It is definitely yeah, now. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I'll
9: finish up um, with this one. Um, another extension, Jim says, he said, when is this torture ever going to end? Brexit is fast becoming the Hotel California of the political world mm. and that you can never leave. Um, fast forward 10 years and we'll still be dealing with this mess, he says.
1: OK, well, I'd say go back uh, to Margaret's comments. I think it was Margaret who said um, 2030. 2030,
9: be, yeah. she has apl- been very kind,
1: actually. <laughs> well, she just said that's what she's looking at for the moment because yeah. that's when they'll be applying for their annual extension so they might do the <laughs> same in 2031 and 2051 as well you never know yeah very good very witty The Michael Reed Show. Now let's go to Northern Ireland where the DUP has been holding its annual conference. Jim Wells, DUP MLA for South Down, joins us. A very good morning to you, Jim Wells, and uh, thanks as always for taking the time to be with us. Uh, Would you agree that later today you'll be facing into a general election on? the 12th of December and at that stage uh, your future is all but sealed and that an agreement will be made with Europe for Brexit which will involve a backstop for Northern Ireland.
10: Uh, Mike, uh, I'm just so pleased that so many of our interviews are live and not recorded because if they were kept in the can for a day and played 24 hours later, I think it would sound nonsensical, because the situation changes not on a daily basis, but on an hourly. Yeah. And what what you're saying could well be true, but at lunchtime there may be a totally different set of circumstances. There have been so many twists and turns mm. in this that no one has a clue what is going on. Now, yeah. it, it, they, there could be an election calls, but equally there may not be. Um, I personally have problems with an election on the 12th of December. I think people's mind are on other things in the lead up to Christmas. But you've no idea what will happen with that election, mm. uh, you know what'll actually occur. So it's all to play for. It's, it's a very yeah. complex situation and one which we simply can't predict. Not even you
1: can predict what's going to happen. No, I I accept that. But I I, I do know that the polls indicate that Boris Johnson would probably be the next Prime Minister and that he would probably have a a sufficient majority to go ahead uh, with uh, a deal with Europe, whether that involves a backstop or not, and that people do have a a tendency to change their mind. As I mentioned, uh, you've been holding your annual conference uh, this weekend. Uh, If we go back a year Uh, and hear what Boris Johnson had to say to the DUP when he addressed your members last year.
2: If we wanted to vary our regulation, then we would have to leave Northern Ireland behind as an economic semi-colony of the EU. And we would be damaging the fabric of the union with regulatory checks and even customs controls between Great Britain and Northern Ireland on top of those extra regulatory cheques down the Irish Sea that are already envisaged in the withdrawal agreement. Now, I have to tell you, no British Conservative government could or should sign up to any such arrangement.
1: Jim Wells, you believed him then, I think.
10: Well, we were watching to see what he was going to deliver and sadly he's reneged... Oh, God. He's reneged on everything he said mm. at that party conference. We are terribly disappointed and mm-hmm. know we've inflicted two serious defeats on his bill since that because we've made it absolutely clear that what he's now doing is totally unacceptable. Uh, I must say um, there is a sense of, of betrayal within the DUP as to what happened and um, he will pay the price for that. I mean w- what he is suggesting in the of a, a border down the middle of the IIC without any consent mechanism is totally unacceptable.
1: Well that's what he said.
10: He said, see, a year, Danny, a year Danny ago. And he <laughs> completely reneged on what he had promised. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I accept that. There's no black and white about it. Mm. He promised one thing and delivered something totally different because your Prime Minister in the Irish Republic managed to bully him into a situation where he had to agree to something in order to get out by the 31st of October. Sad reality is he will be out on Thursday. So his intentions of trying to um, cobble together a deal with Labour mm. Radcliffe to get out on Thursday... Isn't going to happen, and yet Northern Ireland has been to a large extent uh, left to the side in all of this.
1: Do you think it's because Leo Varadkar bullied Boris Johnson, or is it possibly that Boris Johnson doesn't give two hoots about Northern Ireland?
10: I think what happened was that Boris Johnson had put himself into a very difficult position, saying we had to get out by the 31st of October. Leo Varadkar offered him a way of doing that by basically sacrificing Northern Ireland. And he grabbed it because the, the date was uh, impending. Now, um, yes, so I suppose the, 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 the smooth talk of your Prime Minister led to this position. But the crucial issue was we had an agreement two weeks earlier with Boris, which would have enabled Northern Ireland people to have a say in their future through what's called a, uh, a, a cross-community voted stormont.
1: Had that remained, I think Mm. we
10: could have been leaving Europe on a very sensible basis.
1: Cross-community vote uh, is what it's called by some people, other people call it a veto for the DUP.
10: But Michael, you are a very experienced, highly paid presenter. You know that for the last 21 years, everything that has happened in Northern Ireland is on the basis that it must be acceptable to majority of nationalists, and the majority of Unionists. On the first occasion that that didn't suit the Prime Minister, he set that aside. And we have have had to bear the burden of that arrangement for 21 years, and now we see it being dropped... When it suits him and Liam Varadkar. Hmm. That's not acceptable. It's put a coach and horses through the Good Friday Agreement. When the vast majority of people in the of Ireland worship at the temple of the Good Friday Agreement, we don't, but the vast majority do, and when it suits them, they put a coach and horses through that agreement right. by saying that the principle doesn't no longer apply.
1: I hate to say I told you so, but forgive me, I told you so. Uh, the day Boris Johnson was elected, did I not?
10: I'm sure you did, Mike. Uh, but we we never trusted Boris Johnson on the basis of his words. We trusted him on the basis of his actions. Mm. And He's going actions-
1: to uh, establish an economic union between Northern Ireland and the Republic.
10: Well, eh, what he is proposing will ensure, unfortunately, that Northern Ireland will drift further and further away from the, uh, the United Kingdom because of the totally different customs arrangements that will apply. It also means that there's no way in... There's no way we can consent to going in and there's no way out. We are locked in the oh Hotel California syndrome we can't check out because there always will be a pro-European Union majority at Stormont now that negates the Good Friday Agreement also a point that hasn't been raised by many is that we're also subject to the decisions of the European Court of Justice whilst the rest of the United Kingdom isn't and on those major, major issues that will gradually uh, uh, cut off Northern Ireland from the rest of the UK and unionism will be totally opposed to that
1: Why? But well, well, where, where, no, where, 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 where's the harm in the European Court of Justice?
10: Well, the European Court of Justice will impose standards on products in Northern Ireland, but not the rest of the UK. And that will make it more difficult for us to export. But ask the question, Mike, would Galway or Donegal tolerate this type of treatment? Would they tolerate having a customs barrier between them and the rest of the Irish Republic? Of course they would
1: Well, there's a a difference. Uh, In Galway and Donegal, they don't have members of security forces or former members of security forces uh, who may be locked out by the European Court of Justice.
10: Yes, but the the, the point is, for instance, Donegal is almost landlocked, surrounded by the United Kingdom. There could be an argument for a different customs arrangement between Donegal and uh, the rest of Ireland. But because of constitutional integrity, Donegal wouldn't tolerate it for one moment. So why should we, as an integral part of the United Kingdom, be treated differently? Now, initially, you won't see much in the way of change, but gradually, year after
1: year, mm-hmm.
10: Northern Ireland will drift away. And then the logical argument from that is, if you're so economically tied to the Irish Republic, why shouldn't you be politically tied?
1: Well, you'll see little change, or there'll be a lot that will remain the same, uh, as Leo Radker pointed out recently. The
0: Queen will still be the Queen. Uh, the pound will still be the pound. Uh, people will still um, put post letters in Royal Mail red letterboxes. Northern Ireland will still be part of the United Kingdom.
1: That's Taoiseach Leo Vratker. I was uh, watching uh, your party leader, Arlene Foster, uh, talk about those comments yesterday, and uh, she seemed pretty upset a- about what Leo Vratker uh, had said, particularly about the red uh, post boxes.
10: Yes, because. Um, symbolically, yes, there will be vestiges of our our British uh, tradition in Northern Ireland. But meanwhile, very subtly, Economically, we will drift further and further away from the rest of the UK. And remember, that's where we do 80% of our trade. And there'll be a huge bureaucracy that'll have to be implemented. And goods, we have to prove that goods sent from, say, London to Belfast are not going to be then re-exported to the Irish Republic. It's going to cause enormous problems to manufacturers and businesses in Northern Ireland. And we wouldn't, it wouldn't be tolerated anywhere else in any sovereign country, so why in Northern Ireland? And that's why we are mm. totally opposed Totally opposed to this agreement, and yet we were so close to finding something that was acceptable to everyone.
1: But when Leo Vradker said uh, the Queen will still be the Queen, a pound will remain a pound, and that people will be posting letters in red post boxes, he said he was doing so to try and reassure unionists. It seems as though what the Taoiseach said has had the opposite effect
10: it has because some people found it quite offensive what he said and remember the reality is the only way out of any of this is if the 27 member states including the Irish agree to it, there is no way that Leverage is ever going to let us out of this, or he's going to let us out at a terrible constitutional price. So he may be a bit of a smooth talker, but he's still a nationalist, he's still a Republican, and the result is that they notice that, for instance, Sinn Féin are very happy with these proposals because they see, quite obviously, that this is going to lead to constitutional change, a constitutional Mm. change that the people of Northern Ireland don't
1: want to have. Well, you you could say they were designed by Sinn Féin, couldn't you? Because, I mean, it was Sinn Féin who originally said that there should be a special status for Northern Ireland when uh, the people voted in the Brexit referendum.
10: Yes, I agree with you, uh, Michael, which worries me uh, that I am agreeing with you because there's no doubt there are elements of Sinn Féin policy in this, and it's noticeable that they were straight out of the stocks, as it were, to welcome these proposals because they see that they can be built upon on their onward-going march to try and implement a United Ireland, when, of course, the vast majority of people in Northern Ireland don't want to be part of United Ireland. They want to remain part of the UK. So, we have to head this off at the pass, as it were, because if we allow it to continue, it will cause enormous constitutional problems and economic problems in the years that lie ahead. So it, it is, it's dark times for unionism, and we have to unite together to totally oppose this by any means possible. And that may be in the floor of Westminster, or it may be uh, for, when a subsequent government is formed. But I mean, unionism mm. now has to, 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 to react very strongly against this.
1: Okay, I'm sure and, you're right in saying uh, that unionists don't want to be part of uh, United Ireland uh, but there's a a lot of unionists who are unhappy with uh, the way the DUP has handled Brexit. Uh, Do you think that you will suffer in a general election whether that's on the 12th of December or at some other time?
10: Well, Mike, that was said before the last election when we recorded our highest vote ever and took 10 seats at Westminster. Um, People are making lots of predictions about the outcome of this election. But remember, the same predictions were made in 2017 and Corbyn became within a whisker of winning that election. There was a massive surge toward Labour anything can happen. I was going to ask to make a bet I think the Liberal Democrats uh-huh. will poll heavily at this election and the Scottish Nationalists. There could still be a hung parliament of some form and if that's the case we will use our leverage to ensure that this deal does not go through.
1: Will you use else, your leverage uh, to support uh, Nigel Farage over Boris Johnson?
10: Well uh, Farage will be standing, and of course with the unknown quantity here is how many seats the Brexit party will secure. I think we will probably be able to work quite well with, with, with that lobby, and we don't know, could they have the balance of power, or could Brexit plus DUP have have, a, have leverage? We don't know, and I, I'd love to know what you and I will be talking about next week, I'm sure we will be talking, um, because anything could happen between now and then, and it's all to play for. But the DUP are very clear This deal is not acceptable.
1: And and you're telling us uh, that the DUP is in negotiations with the Brexit party, are you?
10: Uh, the DUP would be in regular contact with all the parties at Western. Otherwise, of course, the Brexit party is a very strong membership at the European Parliament. Mm. So it wouldn't be said that we're in formal talks, but we, yes, we do have regular discussions with Nigel Farage. I've met him a couple of times myself, and the Brexit MEPs. And, you know, there's a lot of common ground there, but we'll, at the end of the day, we will do what's best, not for the Brexit party or mm. the Conservative, what's best for Northern Ireland. I'd well, say Nigel and Farage
1: Re- is very interested in the DUP and that uh, you have it in your gift to bolster his campaign against Boris Johnson's deal that you can add to his argument that it's a bad deal for the United Kingdom, that it divides the United Kingdom and that it's a bad deal for Northern Ireland.
10: It is. There's no question about it. Now, whether we enter into any form of formal agreement with the, the, the Brexit party, I don't know. That's way above my pay grade. That's almost up mature your level, Mike. <laughs> but what I would say is, is that you know, we will look at every. We will use every constitutional method and means that we have at our disposal to get this deal either radically amended or dropped. And there will be no change in that because we see it as toxic as far as the future constitutional position of Northern Ireland is, and it would never be tolerated in the Irish Republic. And Leo Radcliffe has managed to charm his way around the Prime Minister and get him to do something which I think he he'll regret in the future.
1: Okay. Well, as you say, we don't know what we'll be talking about tomorrow, but uh, it's quite possible that it'll be a general election that will be the topic of the day. We leave there for today, and thank you indeed, as always, for joining us here on the programme. Jim Wells, DUP MLA for South Down. The Michael Reed Show. Now the SIP2 Trade Union says uh, that parents pay too much for childcare, childcare workers are paid too little and uh, childcare providers struggle to break even. There's something wrong, everyone they say is getting a raw deal and that's why Ciptu has launched the Big Start campaign on Friday of uh, last week uh, the Big Start campaign held a seminar in Navan and we'll hear a little bit more about the campaign and what uh, the attendees heard with Linda Daly, who's uh, the Big Start campaign organiser. A very good morning to you, Linda, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us here on uh, the programme this morning. Uh, good morning, Michael. Uh, uh, as you say, parents are certainly playing uh, an awful lot for childcare. In fact, uh, I think uh, you were looking at uh, the national average, uh, which is uh, an incredible uh, amount of money by anybody's standards. 184 euro a week. It's the highest that people pay uh, in Europe, it, it would seem. Uh, but why why is that the case when nobody seems to be enjoying uh, or reaping the rewards, if you like?
5: Well, what's happening, Michael, is is that the, the, the money is not being, you know, it's not being used for what it should. We're looking for a high quality. We're looking for affordable and we're looking for decent pay for our workers. So, you know, um, the way that it's been, it's been funded at the moment, it's it's just not working. It's broken. And the big start and the workers, we need to fix
1: that. Where, where does the money go, though?
5: Well, the money is being used for, you know, the providers like in, in, in some cases with private providers, they the what by the time they pay out on insurance costs and pay out all that they need to pay, there's just no money there. And the parents are being squeezed. You know, they're 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 paying too much for, for fees and it's literally like having another mortgage.
1: Right. Uh, And is it uh, insurance uh, that is at the root of the problem, which is driving up the costs or is it the standards? Yes,
5: insurance Insurance is one of the major major causes as well. It's something Mm -hmm. that needs to be looked at because what we do know is that currently in mead services are closing down. And, you know, it's a big concern because that means if there's no services there, parents can not send their their children to to the service. And as a result, they're being, in particular, women are being forced back out of the
0: workforce. Mm.
1: So it's like a lot of things in this country. It's uh, the insurance company uh, who is uh, profiteering, if you like, uh, off uh, this particular sector. uh, And until insurance costs are handled somehow or personal injury claims are handled somehow, that's going to continue, is it not?
5: So it's something that we, you know, we need to highlight. We need to make people aware of it, but we also need to make the parents aware that, you know, the people that are looking after their children, they're being paid badly, and they're, you know, they're providing a high quality service, and they're not being paid a decent wage for that
1: service. What are they being paid?
5: Well, on average, in Mead, the average childcare worker or early years assistant is being paid an hourly rate of eleven twenty per hour. So we want to bring that up to the living wage of, of twelve thirty an hour. So, you know, we're asking, we're asking for support from uh, communities, we're asking for the parents to, to have a voice, we want the workers to have a voice, and we need people basically to join up to SIPTA's big star campaign. We, uh, ha- we currently do have over 5,000 workers who are part of the campaign, but we need to continue to grow that
1: figure. Uh, and what about the child care providers? Are they laughing all the way to the bank?
5: Well, in some cases, um, I, I'm sure there is a, a, a proportion of them who are, but, you know, we we had our seminar on Friday and we had a, a, one of our childcare providers, Mag Hoogan, who came on. And basically she's at breaking point. She, she said that she just can't afford to, to pay out for staff. She can't afford to pay for herself. Mm. And, you know, she was looking at, you know, she feels guilty if she wanted to, to shut up the service. She's you know, her heart is broken in relation to she doesn't want to let her staff down, she doesn't want to let the the parents down. So, you know, the providers are absolutely struggling as well. Yeah,
1: And uh, she's very critical of uh, the bureaucracy involved uh, in providing this uh, service. Uh, She was uh, talking about drowning in paperwork.
5: Yes, there's a lot of non-contact time she spends. She said she should be out on the floor, you know, looking after the children, enjoying being with the children. But most of her time, she said, unfortunately, it's spent doing paperwork after paperwork. Mm. You know, and that was something that was that was voiced by, you know, all of our um, uh, providers and
1: workers. Yeah. And uh, you surveyed uh, many of uh, the workers. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the findings. Uh, A lot of people are so unhappy with their position that they're planning on leaving their jobs.
5: Yes, particularly in Mead, we had 45% of workers said that they were looking for another job. Now, when I say another job, they mean another job in another sector. They don't mean within the childcare sector. A
1: different profession.
5: Yes, altogether. Mm -hmm. Um, 55% of our our workers and providers also said they found it difficult to make ends meet. Um, 73% of our our workers said they'd leave the sector in five years if something doesn't change. And unfortunately, 83% of, of workers and providers said, they were unable to uh, cope with unexpected expenses, and what I mean by unexpected expenses could be like a boiler break in a dishwasher, a washing machine. They don't have the money to get them things fixed or or get a new one.
1: You know, yeah, yeah. Or the sole falling off your shoe, needing a new pair of shoes, or needing to go right, to yes. the doctor or wherever. I mean, quite often these things happen unexpectedly, and if you don't expect the unexpected, you're going to find it difficult to cope. And if you can't uh, afford to, to expect the unexpected, well, then you're in a very difficult you're in yeah. and that's uh, you know going back to that uh, age old question of where do you see yourself in five years from now? The majority of people you spoke to said anywhere else anything but this
5: yes yes and another thing just to to raise was 82% of of our people that were surveyed in Mead said low pay was their biggest issue followed by 64% lack of recognition and 37% said there wasn't enough funding coming from the government in order to pay the worker
1: and many of them are stressed
5: Yes, thirty-eight percent of our of our um, childcare workers are stressed because they said they're drowning in paperwork. You know, they're, mm. they're worrying about their financial health. They're actually worrying as well about you know they're unable to pay to send their own children to childcare. So these are major issues, you know, and we we need to tackle them. Mm. And we need to we need to let people out there on the ground. People need to know what's going on in the childcare sector.
1: Mm. Well, it's uh, obviously uh, no joke, uh, but where is uh, the solution? What do you hope to achieve uh, through the Big Start campaign? Or how do you hope to achieve it, more to the point?
5: Yes, well, in order to achieve it, what we need is we need workers to sign up to the Big Start campaign. So we need to have, you know, we need to get all workers involved to come along to sign up to be part of it so that we can look for the living wage and indeed that we can look to get minimum pay minimum pay scales that are, you know, set into the sector so that we can work on getting um a decent a decent pay level for for all our workers and again we'd be looking at some some funding model to get made, you know high to have a high quality and make uh childcare affordable for the parents because like i said the parents are mm. you know they're being squeezed they just don't have the money as i said some of them are paying if you've, if you've one child if you've two children you're paying nearly a, a mortgage in childcare fees every month
1: Okay, and when you say some sort of uh, funding that's a uh, government subvention is it
5: yes that the government would um fund the, the wages part of of the of the um the the sector right yeah.
1: okay, and uh would that bring down the cost for parents
5: that would indeed yes that would lower the cost for the parents and obviously it would help the provider and it would give the the worker a decent
6: wage, yeah.
1: Okay, interesting stuff. Uh, The campaign goes on. Linda, thanks uh, for joining us here on the programme this morning. Linda Daly, Big Start campaign organiser. That conference uh, was organised in Navin on Friday by the SIP2 Trade Union. Now, let's uh, go back to what has been called Votegate and uh, the... uh Strange practice of Fianna Fáil TDs, it seems, uh, to vote twice or to vote on behalf of somebody else, Uh, and indeed the apologies that we heard last week from four TDs, Timmy Dooley, Niall Collins, Barry Cowan and Lisa Chambers. Uh, we heard on the program last week uh, some criticism uh, from members of Finagale and Sinn Fein, uh, who really described this as unacceptable uh, and uh, undemocratic and something that needs to change and they were wondering if it was a culture in Fianna Fáil and they really were very critical of uh, the Fianna Fáil party as well as uh, the four TDs and we said at the time that it was probably a little bit unfair just to hear from Fianna Fáil's political opponents so we thought we'd play you a little bit of what the four TDs had to say when they made their statements to the Dáil last week and we'll hear now from Lisa Chambers, Barry Cowan, Niall Collins, and indeed, Timmy Dooley.
10: I accept and regret that my conduct has led to a controversy that is unwelcome to this House and all its members. I wish to, to
2: apologise to you, Count Corla, to all members of Dáil Éireann.
11: I want to assure this House and the public that I have learned from my mistake and I am genuinely sorry.
10: I am very sorry, Count Corla. I wish to sincerely apologise for my role in what happened. I want to take this opportunity to apologise to you, And to every member of this House for what happened here last Thursday. And to the people of Limerick and the wider public, I offer my sincere apologies too.
11: I apologise for the manner in which I handled that.
10: I want
7: to apologise for this informality and carelessness on my part.
11: I should have done so at the time and I sincerely apologise to this House and to the public for not doing so.
10: And again I I wish to apologise to you and members on all sides of the House, Keown
2: Córle. In conclusion, Count Corla, I want to again reiterate my deep regret and sincere apologies to you and all members of this House.
1: Well, I think they're sorry. Uh, that's uh, the four Fianna Fáil TDs who found themselves embroiled in that controversy. Lisa Chambers, Niall Collins, Timmy Dooley and Barry Cowan. And I think after listening to that, you'd have to uh, agree that they're very, 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 very sorry. Not just sorry, but they're sorry and exceptionally so. Uh, That's, of course, if you take them at their word. Marie Kearns has been out and about and talking to people about this and uh, finding out what you think. Well,
2: it's the same rationale as using the votes of a dead person. It's what they would have wanted. And that's not acceptable. That's not acceptable. I do believe the people involved are behaving disgracefully uh, and I believe it's happening on both sides of the House. So they're going to have to stop electronic voting. It was a failure for general elections and it's a failure in the dial. You're going to have to walk through the lobbies, the eyes on the right.
11: <laughs> yeah,
2: order, order, order. We want order.
11: Were you surprised?
2: I shouldn't be.
11: <laughs>
2: Were you uh, I was, yes, yes, yeah. I thought they'd have a higher standard.
11: TDs
6: should know better. To describe it as a scandal, I think, is a bit much. We have lots of other scandals. We have homelessness. We have the refugees. We have elder people that the home help has been taken away from. I call that a scandal. Certainly, it should not have been done. It shouldn't have happened, but I wouldn't describe it as a scandal. We have lots of other scandals to take care of. Do
11: you think there should be measures now to stop it from happening? Absolutely, absolutely. If I voted twice on an election, it's a criminal offence. They
6: voted twice... It's unconstitutional. It should not have happened.
1: My thoughts
7: on it are, I hope I'm, I, I'm not that senile at, at that age, you know, that I'll be able to recognise my own seat.
11: If it was anywhere else, you'd, you would, you'd say it was far-fetched. These are the ones that are dictating to the population and, and the, of Ireland and all that, and they can't even do an ordinary thing. If, you, if a child did that, they'd either be put in a corner or expelled or on like that. But here, because of who they are and the power that they think they have, I think they're off for a big uh, eye-opener now, definitely. If there's an election, do you? Oh, yeah, definitely. There's nobody here in this country that you could elect. Apart maybe put a lot of those, any of those that are coming out of uh, colleges and universities, put them in to sit in the doll. because I tell you, we'd have a better Ireland with those coming out. At least they have some foresight. What's in hasn't a clue. And if the home, apart from going to even... Don't even go there about the homeless, because each and every one of them, should we put out on the street for a week to see how they feel and now they're getting their big rises and all if I was to start even here now I'd lambaste a whole lot of them
7: well I was in a job one time and the father and son worked on it and the father clocked out the son with him and they got a warning and the next time it happened he was sacked and that was it, that's what should happen then, as far as I'm concerned
11: so one warning and the next time gone I don't think they should need a warning. They're supposed to be better than,
7: better than the average person like, when they're in working the all. They shouldn't have to be told. because like. like, the child would know better than to vote for someone else.
1: I think it's a, it's a disgrace for um, people that goes in there and gets them handy jobs, as I say. And it's a, it's really a disgrace because they're, they're educated men and women. This shouldn't happen.
11: And are you surprised that it's happening, I'm that shocked. they're voting I'm for each other? I'm shocked because
1: if I put my head inside the door,
11: it would be cut
1: off me. And how these people can do can do this, I don't know.
11: So, what do you think should happen?
1: I think should happen to s- suspension suppose to so many of them they
10: can't suspend them all well my uh, idea on the thing I think there's more important things to be worried about like uh, homeless the health and all that than be worried about voting I do think they should vote alright but not the way they were at alright
11: so there should be changes made that doesn't happen
10: yeah well they should they all be staying in their own seats in there
7: that's my opinion. i been at it for years I suppose it's been found out now but at least it's not as bad as Westminster uh, so maybe a few of them should go over there and make, and, you know, I mean, vote and maybe we'll get Brexit through <laughs>
11: And do you think that there should be changes to make sure that doesn't end this now?
7: They just need to cop onto themselves. I mean, if we if we did it in a general election, we, I mean, where would you be? You know, I mean, just on onto yourselves. You know, I mean, make a couple of changes and uh, and get and get it right. You know. You don't want to run the country. I mean, if they're all using, you know, I mean, different terminology. Well, I didn't. You know, I mean, I didn't vote for anyone who wasn't in the chamber. Well, you shouldn't have been doing it in the first place. But they've all been at it. So just draw a line under and get it sorted.
1: Okay, a plague, on all your houses are thanks uh, to those people who took some time out to speak with Marie Kearns for us. The Michael Reed Show time now, as is usual, around this time uh, for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents guard here investigating locally that perhaps uh, you can assist with. Uh, Garda Ken Bogan of Trohada uh, Station joins us uh, for the report uh, this week and we begin with uh, a serious incident uh, that happened in uh, Dundalk. This is uh, an attempted robbery that uh, you're reporting on.
8: Yes, good morning Michael. Uh, the first instance we're asking uh, help from your listeners with is an attempted robbery in Dundalk to occurred on the 23rd of the 10th uh, on the Castletown Road in the Dock at 3.30am. This occurred at the uh, traffic light junction at the top of the road. People beware, it's close to the De La Salle. Uh, The victim's car was approached by a a blue VW Golf. Uh, We believe it had northern or English plates. The uh, offending person from this vehicle then approached the victim's car with his face covered and carrying an implement. Uh, the male, um, the v- the victim then drove away onto the mill road towards the rugby club followed at high speed by the golf in question uh, the victim then wisely decided to drive directly to the Garda station and um, as you can understand this is a very stressing incident for the driver involved the description of the vehicle is a blue VW Golf with large alloys and as I've previously said yellow plates at the rear so we're asking anyone who observed that vehicle between those two locations or or, or any activity at that location to contact my colleagues at Dundalk Garda station yeah, I think
1: you'd have to uh, congratulate the victim there for staying calm and uh Almost definitely. quick thinking. To It's the right thing to do, yeah, obviously, right to drive to, do, to it. There was
8: no point in getting mm-hmm. out and tackling that individual mm-hmm.
1: Okay, uh, we stay in Dundalk, uh, and uh, the first of uh, a number of burglaries uh, to report on uh, this week, uh, this one at Waterview in Dundalk.
8: Yes, this occurred, as you said, at Waterview, which is on the Point Road in Dundalk, on the 23rd of the 10th at approximately 7 p.m., Um, The homeowner was uh, alerted to the alarm activation at the house and on returning home discovered that um, entry had been gained to the house through a rear kitchen kitchen window. A number of items of jewellery were stolen in this incident. So we're asking, it's quite a busy location. Anyone in that area during that time who observed any vehicles or persons acting suspiciously to again contact my colleagues at Dundalk Garda Station
1: Okay, another burglary to report on uh, this one at Beachwood Drive in Drahada break-in that happened on Saturday was it? Yes Mm -hmm. Saturday
8: 26th at 6pm in this case the homeowner was at home and heard uh, glass smashing downstairs and on going downstairs observed that a kitchen window had been smashed. So we're again, there's quite a busy location, there's the swimming pool, there's a lot of estates around the area. If anyone has seen anyone acting suspiciously or running from that location, or indeed a suspicious vehicle, to uh, try and make contact with my colleagues at, D- at Drogheda Garda station
1: OK there's a, a theft from a car to report on next uh, this happened in Navan.
8: yes this happened in the Black Castle estate Navan. so it's just on the Slane Road there um, locals may be aware as he approached the round O the owner parked the car up for the night at 8pm a grey uh, Volkswagen Passat and at 8am discovered another vi- a number of items discarded around the vehicle uh, two large backpacks were taken from the vehicle during this incident. So we're again asking anyone who observed individuals in that area or possibly carrying large backpacks around that location to contact Garda Station. OK,
1: more stolen items. Uh, this uh, particular report uh, is uh, from a garage in Dunboyne.
8: Yes, uh, this is a garage in Dunboyne in the Barstown Commercial Park. A number of vehicles had uh, car parts removed. There were catalytic converters removed from the vehicles overnight um, this type of incident would have generated a lot of noise. Um, this. Qu- type of crime unfortunately was becoming quite common as these car parts can be quite expensive so we're appealing to anyone who observed a distur- heard a disturbance or activity at that location during them times um, between 7pm on the 23rd and 10am to contact the Gardaí and we believe a vehicle may have been involved in this incident due to the uh, quantity and size of the items removed Right. Okay.
1: and uh, some mechanical skill involved in exactly. it it's I not imagine it's a
8: straightforward a operation at
1: all somebody is uh, trying to sell these in uh, the trade uh, yes. and perhaps if people are offered to uh, these items course, uh, they yes. let gardino uh we've uh, somebody trespassing on a, a premises in Slane to report on next
8: um yes at this instant um the in on the main street in Slane um a a son returned home and observed four people at the rear of his father's premises, um, and that the, the men left the scene in a vehicle um, in the Navan direction. Um, we don't believe entry was gained to the house, but um, just uh, it was quite a distressing incident. And um, anyone who observed a vehicle driving at speed through Slane Village. Um, to contact either Garda Station or indeed Garda Station. OK,
1: well, we'll talk about uh, the 31st of October next, which we have been for three years since they said they were going to uh, leave uh, the European Union. But uh, it's not uh, Brexit uh, on the 31st, but it is, of course, Halloween.
8: Yes, so it's that time of year again where fireworks and uh, bonfires are becoming the norm. So we're just offering an advisory to members of the public there, and especially parents, that every Halloween, Agarashi, Kona, and the fire service do receive a high number of call-outs to bonfires and fire-related incidents. So we are urging parents to stay safe and not buy illegal fireworks for the children this Halloween. Families are encouraged to attend organised events run by the council rather than purchasing illegal fireworks. And just in relation to... If you are attending an event, just a couple of safety tips... Um, to stay a safe distance away, as wind can carry the sparks long distances, young children should be accompanied by adults when trick-or-treating. And if you are trick-or-treating, to skip the houses with no lights on and to wear reflective material that you can be seen by motorists and cyclists. And also to be aware of animals um, experiencing trauma during firework displays and um bangers going off and that sort of thing just to bear that in mind mm. and everyone hopefully stays safe and has mm. a happy Halloween
1: that's it and to keep your own animals indoors uh, exactly it can get, be yeah. very traumatic yeah. yeah. for yeah. animals yeah. Yeah. Yes. and of course keep a, a, an eye on elderly neighbours or if uh, you have family to make sure that they're okay and that's yeah. what you have yeah. yeah. just a time well, of yeah. year to pass extra yeah. attention yeah. to those around you mm-hmm. ok we'll leave it there thank you indeed uh, Garda Ken Bogan of uh, Drogheda Garda Station will return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme but that's all we have time for for today because our Time has run out on us once again. Before we go, let me remind you there'll be a podcast of today's programme available on our website, lmfm.ie. Thanks to Maggie McGuire for researching and Chris Murray in the control tower. I'm Michael, God willing, we'll see you for our next program tomorrow morning at nine a.m. right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show.